Loom memory fragments. Warp truth. Weft fairy. 996 years after the Cypher War. Everything ends. Everything will be renewed. When a fairy is deleted from Cypher space, their death reverberates through all the courts, through all the land, their sigil code singing of loss, destruction, yearning. The frag spark of their non-beings calls for sequence and sentience, and that call is answered by the wild hunt. A shifting mass of seven bodies, each their own solid color of ruby, copper, gold, emerald, sapphire, amethyst, and obsidian. They descend always from above, into the street or phasing through a ceiling. During the wars, they were always seen riding, seeming to be many places at once, constantly gathering frag spark. Nowadays, fairy no longer die as they once had. A devouring virus, an illegal soul drug, an even more illegal weapon were the only regular ways. Sometimes a fairy would throw themselves on a wild tree, begging the hunt to come and scatter their sigil code into sparks, returning their sequences to the primordial wild, erasing their sentience. Immortality is a heavy thing to bear, even more so with the added weight of all that was done through those hundreds of years. It is the hunt that decides the balance of sigil code throughout the fair, whether an elder dies or a child is born. For everything must end, and everything must be renewed. In this moment, an instance of the wild hunt is descending upon an abandoned street in a Myrden slum court, a V-formation sloping downwards from the sky, woe leading while Nodens and Malt follow on either side of Zir. A bard's body, casualty in a recent skirmish with the Averona, as lying propped up against a wall, his comrades abandoning him to retreat in safety. His glowing frag spark begins to coalesce in swirls of lime green taupe, merging into a sphere as the seven hunters move their limbs to gather it. Woad abruptly stops, causing the others to convulse in confusion. Something's wrong. Before Z can finish, a tearing, shredding, crackling sound, as if the cord itself was being broken in half. A violating thunder followed by a flare flash of searing blue light. It lasts for three clicks, but when it's over, there are only six hunters left. May we take a break, please, Sister Nim? The tall, graceful figure of the lilac-skinned woman in the green dress smiles, her eyes quickly glancing at the Averonian red sky outside the window, before nodding. You've all worked hard in the last hundred clicks and have definitely earned it. Class dismissed for fifty clicks. The teachers in training, all wearing identical green dresses, break out in excited chatter, stretching and standing from their pale yellow-gold desks, gathering their notes and heading for the door. Have you started working on your assignment yet, Roggen? A curvy, peach-toned fairy with wild, curly, plum-colored hair asks her azure-skinned friend. The two women are in a black, polished stairwell, making their way several stories down to breathe some fresh air outside of the ziggurat of progress. 
Roggen groans and shakes her head, her short fuchsia hair whipping back forth. To tell you the truth, Emil, I can't even believe finals is coming up in a week or two. I'm too busy studying to even remember if we've got this assignment due in a few days. I was sick last week, remember? Ugh, by the order, that was terrible. Sorry, I remember now. You were in a house center overnight and didn't come to class for days. Roggen, you have to ask for an extension. Like, right now. You know how she is. Sister Nim leaves immediately after the end of the day, so the best time to catch her is at break. If you don't pass this class, they'll make you redo the year. Fine, fine, Roggen grumbles. I'll see you outside in ten clicks. Roggen races back up the stairs, thoughts of citations and references and exam notes floating in her mind. But as she runs back into the classroom, all of that flees, all words flee, just an echoing shriek ripping through the air as she sees Sister Nim's head of flaxen hair and outstretched hand disappear into a whirling dark vortex, followed by a blue, bright burst. Dade's family was pleasantly surprised that he had ever risen high enough in the bureaucratic ranks to be working for THE High Bard. He came from a mixed house of she and unsealed lineage, grew up a stuttering hunter-green fairy boy with wide rose eyes, carefully covered in thick brown spectacles. He was fastidious and competent, much appreciated by a high bard renowned for his no-nonsense, brisk attitude and demanding work ethic. Their hours together, when the high bard wasn't out fulfilling his duties, were usually filled with rustling paper, muffled calls and meetings behind the high bard's closed office door, and the occasional walk to Dade's front desk to retrieve files personally, while exchanging the barest of pleasantries. Shifts ended with them leaving at the same time, doing a final sweep of the office areas to make sure everything was in order. It was a routine Dade had grown to rely on for the last two years. When the knock happened, he didn't think anything was out of the ordinary. Sure, it was close to shift's end, but sometimes an earnest citizen needed to see the high bard, perhaps to book a longer appointment into the high bard's packed schedule. Dade had gotten up, ready to unlock the mechanism in the entrance port, when he startled jumped recoiled at the sound of a sharp, Don't! Dade turned to stare, slack tremble jawed, at the high bard, who stood sternly in a charcoal three-piece suit, filling the doorframe of his personal office, silver forehead furrowed, white brows knitted, above pupilless white eyes. He radiated more tension in this one moment than Dade had ever seen him in all the years he'd worked here. Sir? Do not open the door, junior clerk Dade. Three sharp raps on the door as soon as the high bard finished speaking, insistent firm loud. But, sir, it could be urgent. Just don't open it. Sir, I don't understand. You're not paid to understand, junior clerk. Dade had no idea when he started shaking, but he definitely was shaking. The illogical, cryptic, near-terrified response of the high bard was edging between frightening frustrating. It made Dade speak when he was used to biting his tongue. It made him step forward when he usually shrunk back. It gave him his own illogical courage. Sir, there is no reason we shouldn't unlock the door. No alarms have gone off. No wards have been triggered. We have a duty to serve Fairy during the hours we say we're open. The high bard simply looked at him. 
It would be the second longest moment of Dade's entire life. The impassive gaze seared into his mind, neither fairy blinking, until finally the high bard strode forward. Dade flinched as the high bard nearly walked into him, swerving before impact, to lay a hand on the port. At first, a tense quiet. The port shimmered open to reveal the empty hallway that led to this office. Dade sighed, realizing perhaps the citizen had left, but also perhaps relief that nothing was there after all. The high bard turned away to face Dade, mouth open with a slight rueful grin, but whatever he was about to say was drowned out by Dade's gasp-scream yell as a thorny tar tendril curled around the high bard's waist and pulled him backwards, blue-blaring lightning followed by silence and stillness. The longest moment of Dade's life was when he stood there, unmoving, in an illogically empty office, facing an illogically empty hallway. Well, I guess we're all fucked now. Fully expecting to be killed on the spot, Tally closed their swirling kaleidoscopic eyes, taking in a slow, deep breath. When nothing happened, Z peeked to see Morgue still staring impassively, stoic stone still, except for the hissing mass of live onyx wires that comprised her hair. The silence stretched, and when Morgue was the one to break it, Tally refrained from exhaling, relieved, that Sir Bluff had worked. You've got something else to barter with, the scarlet-skinned warrior finally said. You wouldn't have risked your life to hacks into Averona just because Highbard Merle and Sister Nim have gone missing. You knew I would think you're a spy, no matter how femme-pretty you make yourself. Um, so you think I'm pretty? Tali could not help but interrupt, a roguish grin on Zer face, a slash of white starkly against the oil-slick rainbow sheen of Zer's skin. Morg continued, unperturbed. Cut the shit, Bardass. What have you got that'll convince me to call a temporary truce for a probable suicide mission? The loom, Tally responded calmly, keeping any note of triumph out of her voice. I can get the loom to love you again. It took a moment for him to register what she had said, as he slowly sat up, limbs sore, vision blurred, in whatever dim, dank chamber he was in. Can you get us out of here, High Bard? Lilac skin, green dress, that familiar lilting yet brisk voice of a teacher, her rank sister, her name Nim. He took in the rest of his surroundings. There was a hunter here, copper. Must be Hearn. It was not a large space. Bars all around, gray and worn, beyond them, a misty void, an encryption mist. He would have thought the Averona had kidnapped him, but why was the sister here? Perhaps a trick. Why capture the hunter, then? Another trick, though the Averona was gambling a high-risk game to take a hunter from the wild. If he got out of this alive, it was likely he could rally the wild hunt to dismember the Averona from the inside out. Highbard Merle began to hum a hack song not answering Sister Nim's question. He felt the sigil code within the floor and the bars respond, but stopped abruptly when he heard no resounding echo of code beyond. It took a moment for him to analyze, to comprehend what that meant. If there was no sigil code, then there was nothing out there. If he broke through the chamber, they would fall endlessly. It was not an encryption mist, like he had previously thought. 
It was just nothing. The law's affair ended past those bars. The room was less of a prison, more of an island, keeping them afloat in a vast sea of oblivion. He turned back to Sister Nim. How did you get us here? Who built this place? Her eyes widened, golden pools that shone like her hair. Then she narrowed them. Ah, so you didn't see who took you either, and you think this is the Averona's doing. I deny it, of course, but you expect that. This was a possible outcome I foresaw while we waited for you to awaken. Consider this, High Bard. You can either not trust me, and we're trapped here, silently, until our real captor returns for their unknown purposes, or you can trust me enough that we can work together and connive a plan of escape. There is no escape, Merle said impatiently. The hunter knows. Did Z not tell you? Z will not speak. Perhaps because you captured Zir. Ask Zir yourself, then. Hunter Hearn, do you know who brought us here? High Bard Merle waited exactly ten clicks before turning back to Sister Nim. Since we aren't able to escape, then the two of us, possibly with Hunter Hearn if Z awakens from Zir stupor, can overpower our captors when they come for us. However, I would prefer that you stay on one side of the chamber and I at the other. Secondly, I will not answer any questions about myself or of state dealings. Sister Nim inclined her head and moved to a wall far from him. Acceptable terms. We may be here for a while, though. Are you willing to play games to pass the time? The bard looked ruffled. I... What? She let out a soft laugh. <laughs> this is going to be hilarious. I wasn't making a joke, Tali insisted. I swear to you, the best way into the green is through the Mirden. Don't fucking insult my intelligence again, Morg snarled, switching suddenly from sarcastic snort to burning animosity her face of jagged edges and ferocious lines an inch from Tali's nose. The bard swallowed, Zer burst of neon hair turning from bright green to hot pink, but Z did not step back or move. I know there are other ways to get in, it's just that it'll take longer and we need to get to the green man immediately if we're going to warn him. Morg turned away abruptly. Green one, not man. They have no gender id, and the matter is not up for discussion, bardass. I'm reckless enough to go with you, but I don't believe for a fucking moment that the rest of the bards will uphold the truce, even if you are Merle's successor. We go the long way or not at all. Tully sighed. The plans he had brought forward to the Fairy High Council, or what was left of the Wild Hunt and the Council of Bards, was now completely discarded due to Morg's contempt at their ideas. Originally, Tali had proposed three bards and three Averonian warriors to sojourn into the green as a protective detail from the green man, hoping to ambush the kidnapper. However, Morg refused to bring any warriors with her and forbade any bards except Tali, and now the entry point was being moved. Luckily, Tali was good at improvisation. Okay, we can do it your way, but this is going to be a little cozy. I've got an experimental program spell I've been working on, and you're going to need to be touching... The warrior stepped around the bard, snaking her arms around Zir's waist, her black armor pressing against her back and hot breath tickling the tips of Zir's ears. She was much taller than Zir, so she must be deliberately breathing on Tali. Clawed red hands scraped through Tali's thin dress against their small breasts. A shiver ran through Zir's body, nipples hardening, chest heaving. This close enough? Morg's words were a throaty purr. Who's playing who here? 
Tolly thinks, disoriented. But out loud, Z made a tiny noise of agreement. Mm-hmm. Before Z opens her mouth and began to bard sing. It's beautiful, Merle admitted once Nim had finished. Well, it's no bard song, Nim demurred, but she was smiling. It is a chant, a record of Averona before the Brand Empire, taught to every child so that they know their culture. I suppose when our captor comes, I can bore them with stuffy lectures and old songs until they set us free. When I suggested a distraction, I was thinking of something more. Merle trailed off as Nim arced her weed-colored brows. I am a teacher, High Bard. Though I am sure there are seductive teachers among my people, I do not quite have the temperament. I do want to contribute to our emancipation by neither know how to fight nor to distract. I've spent my life teaching students how to focus. I suppose I can try to engage our captor in a game, and if we win, we are to be set free. That can't possibly work. It did in the oral histories. By Myrd's beard, sister, this isn't a story. We need something more. Merle cut himself off with a frustrated sound, shaking his head. Ugh, if you're not sent here to seduce me by the Averona, then maybe we have been kidnapped by an outside force. But why would they take you? You have no strategic military advantage. Perhaps it is the Dusk Return, and they want to ransom us all back to our people in return for weapons. Merle stared shrewdly at Nim. As unlikely as I find the dusk returning, I would think they would ransom us to force the fairy to invade Camelot instead of simply acquiring weapons. Besides, do you honestly think that the Scourge would trade Averonian weapons for you? No, Sister Morg would never bow to threats, Nim answered without hesitation. You are correct in that regard, but she would also jump at the chance to crush Camelot, so there would certainly be no need to kidnap me for ransom. Then we're back to where we started, with no clues as to why we were taken, and our only plan is that I attempt to use the sigil code in our cell to make a program spell of attack that could possibly destabilize the chamber and set us plummeting into an endless void. That's your only plan, Nim sniffed. If the opportunity arises, I'm going to attempt to talk some sense into our captors or engage them in a wager. I'll attempt to choose a game where we have strategic advantage, of course. Perhaps who can sing the best song? You know this could all be pointless. What if we've been surveyed this entire time? Then maybe you should have considered whispering in my ear instead of talking across the floor. I didn't want you to catch me unawares and stab me or poison me or, or kiss me. Nim's eyes widened. Kiss you? How would kissing you hurt you? Oh, back to the seduction business again, are we? You know, High Bard, you're the one who introduced the idea and then kept bringing it up. How do I know this isn't a murder plot to seduce me? Merle spluttered in disbelief. Uh, me? A seducer? Sister? I wouldn't... What, what, I would never... Nim's laughter drowned out his further incoherent mumbling. You really can't take a joke, can you? I swear, if we get out of this alive, I'm willing to tutor you on how to gain a sense of humor. I assure you, you would need to be the best teacher in all of fairy to teach me that. I am the best teacher in all of... Wait, was that a joke? Well done, High Bard. Top marks. See, you're learning already. Merle didn't notice he was laughing with her until he stopped, and then his gaze took on a nostalgic countenance. It's been so long since I've spoken to an Averonian in this way. I succeeded High Bard Fion when Sister Arho was still leading the Council of Nine, and back then I visited Averona frequently. 
Those are good days back then. Days of peace. Fairy operates in cycles, High Bard. What once was will come again. Everything passes. Everything must be renewed. From the smallest blade of grass in the tiniest court to the loom itself. Merle's ivory brows furrowed. The loom? But before he could finish, he was thrown to the ground. His body forcibly ported somewhere else. Somewhere green. Well, you certainly know how to show a girl a good time. As Morg disentangled her claws and body from Tali's, Zee stumbled, and the warrior steadied Zir with an iron grip on Zir's shoulder. I wouldn't call you a girl, sister, Tali gasped, covered in sweat, limbs trembling, trying to regain some breath back. But now, I know any type of experimental shit that involves near annihilation and excessive speed and force smash porting through worlds like they're dust <laughs> would be a, a good first date date morg did that terrifying cackle snort that sounded like grinding swords together <laughs> i don't date stringer we can certainly fuck later before i call this truce off and try to kill you and every bard i see but i don't date to punctuate her last sentence, the hand that she had on Tali's shoulder raked deliberate slow down her back. Tali bit back a moan. I, uh, um, we need to focus. This should be the green, uh, one's inner sanctum. We just have to find them. I am here, Bard. Tali whirled around at the echoing voice sound, finally getting a good look at their surroundings. Shimmery, hyperpixelated leaves and foliage as far as the eye can see, and every conceivable shade of green, as if coded from old sorcerer picture books uploaded before the cipher war. A gigantic face made out of the scenery, twice Morg's height, emerged in the sky, on the wall. Green one, Tali began. Sister Morg and I have come to warn you and offer our protection. Heads of state have been kidnapped, and we believe you're the next target. It has begun. The giant green face boomed, as it was foretold. There is nothing that we can do now, but let fate run its course. What has begun? Tali demanded. Is it the dusk? Has it returned? No, not the dusk, Morg murmured. And Tali turned to look at her, a ripple of fear passing through Zir as he sees Morg's obsidian eyes filled with some unnameable anguish. I knew you were lying, Tali, but I came along anyway. I just wanted to see her again. See who? She merely pointed, and Tali's gaze followed, to see leaves parting, revealing, suspended and wrapped in vines, a naked brown body, a human, no wait, vibrant purple curls, enraged dark brown eyes and white sclera blinked open, focusing on Tali, then Morgue, then the green face. Tell me the fucking truth, you fucker! Shalot screamed, and Tali falls against Morg in shock at the sound of it, the way it rattled the very sigil code fabric of reality. Am I the same as the Virai? What the fuck am I? Am I mortal? Am I fairy? Why can't I be real in either world? Why am I fucking cursed? Your questions will be answered, Loom, the green one responded. I will need the others you have hidden. Blue, give the coordinates, Shalot commanded. 
One of the leaves in the green face's left eye turned a pale neon blue. And then, abruptly, Highbard Merle, Sister Nim, and Hunter Hearn were lying on the floor, dazed. Tolly! Sister Morg! Merle muttered, looking around. Green man! You! He gapes at Shalott. The loom took you all, the green one explained. When she came for me, I caught her. I have analyzed her program. At this point, we must do what she asks. What? Merle shouted, getting to his feet, outraged. Whatever it is, I will not. Shalott sneered. Oh, fuck you, Merle, you fucking windbag. I'd kick your ass right now if... How dare you speak to me this way? You selfish... Enough! Morg thundered. It's over, High Bard. The loom has made up her mind, and I know more than anyone that she's not going to change it. She'll never stop until she gets what she wants. Merle shakes his head. Of course you would say that. The fair's instability would be in your favor, so you could make a move against Camelot. Shut the fuck up! Shalot screamed, and all but Morg and the Green One involuntarily clapped their hands to their ears. Shut the fuck up, all of you. I hate every fucking one of you. Just tell me what the fuck I am. Hunter Hearn got up, and everyone fell silent. Z reached out a long tendril that morphed into a five-fingered hand. The hand stroked the loom's tear-stained face, and it seemed to calm her for a bit. My little hunter, Hearn whispered, barely audible. You are in so much pain. You bear the weight of all our worlds, and yet you are half sick of shadows, are you not? Z looked to the green one. Do it. Join us all together to access all our password progs. With my override code and yours, we will not need the high bard's permission. Vines began to twine around each being's body until a single leaf touched their foreheads. Highbard Merle, Sister Morg, Sister Nim, Hunter Hearn, Bard Tali, all their eyes, scleroless, turned verdant, pulsing. Their mouths opened in unison. Classified File 000001 The Loom and the Caliber Weapons Containing the Swordstone Program the Swordstone program was created from the reconstituted sigil codes of Ariad, the last ruling queen of the Averona, and of the Virus, the unsealed faction known as the Dusk. The Swordstone program is locked to the DNA codes of Sorcerer X's bloodline. Sorcerer X's great-grandchildren, Shalot and Camelot, were the first loom and the first bearer of Excalibur, respectively, and the source of all changing anomalies. The Caliber is aware that will answer to Sorcerer X's bloodline. The Loom is a human of Sorcerer X's bloodline, merged with a Swordstone program and the Bloodwind program, kept in the tower outside of the city of Camelot for safekeeping. The virus sigil code in the Swordstone program degrades the human mind, so the human shell must be terminated every 100 years. The Swordstone program chooses a human child before the termination of the degraded human shell. The round table in the city of Camelot sends a child via wearship so it can be installed in the tower. Once the old human shell is terminated, the Swordstone and Bloodwind programs are fully uploaded into the new human shell. Memory wipe subroutines are placed on the loom to prevent further corruption, such as building family and ties with mortals or fairy. There have been nine renewals of the loom to date. The next renewal is scheduled for another 50 years. 
As the leaves broke contact, each being's eyes returned to normal. The first thing they all noticed is the gaping, sigil-codeless hole in the wall, edged by withered, burnt, blackened foliage. The loom was gone. You've ended us all, Highbard Merle said grimly. The green one's face started to disassemble, merging back into the sanctum of the green, but the lips were the last to go, forming one last reply. Everything will end. Everything will be renewed. End of Loom Memory Fragments Warp Truth Weft Fairy